Well, good morning. How you guys doing? Awesome, awesome, awesome. I'm, I'm so excited uh, and thrilled to uh, be with each and every one of you uh, this morning. Uh, and I'll be hanging out in a little coffee area, John, afterwards, so y'all can say what's up or whatever. Um, uh, but just super excited and grateful to be uh, in this church. Um, I'm going to tell you where we're going to be so y'all can go ahead and grab your Bibles and then uh, got some other things to share before we begin. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 12, uh, Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to be uh, literally looking at the entirety of that chapter, verses 1 through uh, 20. Um, so Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, 1 through 20. Uh, while you're turning there, uh, just a, a, a couple of things I would like to say. Uh, first off, yes, we are in the middle of a church plant. And uh, this church has been, um, as Pastor Johnny already said, just so supportive uh, and helpful in that work. And so uh, uh, thank you all for your faithful giving because it really does go towards the expansion of God's kingdom uh, in places that uh, you might have never been. Uh, if you haven't been to Orlando, we welcome you. <laughs> come, down, come on down. Uh, but, but if not, just know that you, you, you're literally given to the expansion of God's kingdom. Uh, but also, um, we're in the middle of the grind of it. Uh, and so if you could just be thinking of us and praying to God uh, that he would continue to help us to build relationships, uh, to establish connections there, uh, and to be able to establish uh, connections like this so that we can just really go forward in the work, um, that would be awesome. A couple more things I want to say. Uh, first off, I want to just honor uh, this house and the leaders of this house uh, got a chance to just kick it with and spend time and get to know Pastor Johnny. And um, man, uh, I just praise God for the fire in that dude's belly uh, to see the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, multiply, not just in this city, in this state, um, but literally around the world. Uh, and I know that that is a reflection of the leadership team as, as a whole. And so First Timothy chapter 5 tells us, like, let us honor the elders who rule well among us uh, and you know old black church tradition like we do this really good uh, we like to celebrate our leaders and so if you wouldn't mind can y'all just do me a solid and just clap your hands and just celebrate uh, the leaders that you guys have uh, among you uh, it's something worthy of celebrating for real for real and then uh, the last group of people I want to honor, uh, they are not in this room. I uh, got my son with me somewhere in this building, uh, but he has decided to have fun elsewhere. Uh, I guess he's heard enough of dad uh, for a day, uh, but Aaron's with me. And then I got um, uh, Jonathan, Hadassah, who are two and one respectively. Uh, and then I have Zipporah at home, uh, who are my four children. And so the person, though, that I want to honor the most uh, is my wonderful wife of 12, almost 13 years. Uh, she is the finest thing on two legs, <laughs> brilliant, godly, and all of that, uh, and legit. Uh, if it wasn't for her, not, would I not only be standing in this spot, uh, but I wouldn't be in ministry at all. It was her encouragement, pushing, uh, challenging <laughs> is the best way to say it, kind of checking me at sometimes uh, for me to walk into the calling that God had upon my life. And so uh, I'm just telling y'all like it is because of God and he used a woman in my life uh, to, to have me standing in this very place. And so can we just celebrate God for Brittany also and the way in which she's just uh, serving us, even though y'all can't even see how she's doing. So I uh, wouldn't be able to stand here and do this uh, if it wasn't for her. Uh, well, with that being said, why don't y'all stand on y'all feet 
uh, as we honor the word of God. Uh, as I told first service, I think these are passages, especially m- m- much of Genesis, but uh, specifically passages like Genesis 12, where Abraham's who's getting called, um, we can like run over passages like this because we've read them so many times. I know many of you, you guys start uh, Bible reading plans early in the year, and y'all make it usually through chapter 12 <laughs> uh, of Genesis. Uh, maybe not through Exodus all the way, chapter 20, and then you kind of fade off. Definitely not Leviticus. We all been there. We've all been there. Um, <laughs> But if you've read, you know, Genesis 12 uh, many times, you could kind of pass over different language um, and, and, and the emotion of the text. And so I'm just asking that as we even read the text, uh, that you would allow for God to speak not just to your ears, uh, but to your very hearts. And so let's go ahead and dive into the word of God. And this is what it says. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dwelt well with Abram. He had sheep and oxen, male donkeys and male servants, female servants, female donkeys and camels. Verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say, she is my sister? 
so that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. They sent him away with his wife and all that he had. It's a powerful passage, ain't it? <laughs> uh, and if I were just going to give this passage a title, I simply entitle it, The Call of Abram, A Journey from Faith to Fear. The Call of Abram, A Journey from Faith to Fear. Uh, why don't you join me in a word of prayer before we begin? Lord, your love endures forever. Your love endures forever. Lord, your love endures forever. We come into this place with grateful hearts, God. Thank you for this worship team that has led us so powerfully in your presence. And yet, God, we know that in this room, this size, like there are people coming in who might be joyful and content in you, but there are so many things externally plaguing them, maybe physically, emotionally, mentally, even spiritually. And God, I do not know what is on everyone's heart as they enter this room. I don't know the various things that ail them. I don't even know even, even some of their stories. <laughs> And Lord, if this was just me up here, that would be tragic, for what could I ever say? But I thank you that you are in this room, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you speak from your word. And God, I am recognizing and acknowledging before the people of God that I am a weak vessel. And yet by your grace, when I am weak, you prove yourself to be strong. So God, be my strength this morning. Spirit of God, if you don't show up, this is a train wreck waiting to happen at worst. A TED talk at best. But oh God, these people, your people, they don't need a TED talk. They need transformational biblical preaching so God would you transform lives like you can would you save souls like only you can and would you meet every single individual right where they are whether in this place or hearing us from home only like you can and as you do your work God we'll give you the praise glory and honor that is due your name Lord, we love you, and we praise you, and it's all in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All God's people say, amen, amen. You can take your seats. You can take your seats. I know many of you grown up making different types of promises, and we even begin as kids with these kind of promises. I don't know if you remember doing this as a child. A pinky promise. Anybody given out the pinky promise before? Or we say weird, strange, scary, concerning things. 
Like I cross my heart, hope to die. (laughs) Stick a needle in my eye. Anybody ever said that before? (laughs) Scary stuff just to make a promise. Or what we would say where I was growing up, we would say stuff like, I swear on my mama's grave. Anybody ever said that before? The most important of all these promises is the one where we say, I take thee to be my lawfully wedded wife, to have and to hold for good times or in bad times, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health, what? Till death do us part. (laughs) Wish my baby was right here so I could just say it one more time because I still believe that, you know what I'm saying? But we all do this in our lives. We all make promises. And as a matter of fact, human beings are the only creatures in all of creation that makes promises. And that's not a shocking statement for anyone. But what might be shocking is the reason why human beings make promises. Have you ever considered why on earth are human beings the only one that make promises? Well, the answer is given to us just a few chapters before this particular text in Genesis chapter 1. When the text reads, and God made man in his own image. See, the reason why human beings make promises is because the God whose image they bear also makes promises. But if you've lived long enough, you know there's a distinction between God as a promise maker and man as a promise maker. Because if you've lived long enough, you recognize that every single human being experiences broken promises. And as soon as I say that, the narcissist in all of us says, yes, I have experienced broken promises as a victim. But if we're all only victims of broken promises, (laughs) how in the world did the promise get broken? (laughs) Now, the reality is that all of us are both victims and villains in terms of broken promises. (laughs) But I didn't come here to talk to you about how mankind fails to keep their promises. I came to tell you about the God who always, 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 always keeps his word. And herein lies the distinction in the text we're going to be in. A distinction between mankind as a promise maker and God as the promise keeper. A distinction between mankind who gives the word and God who keeps his word. Here in this text, we're going to see that even Abram, the father of faith, will sometimes fall short of faithfulness. And yet, even when Abram is faithless, God remains faithful. I want you to take a journey with me from faith to fear. And my prayer is that as we just spend time with Abram, we will not see a man as the hero of this text. But we will recognize that there is only one hero of this passage of the book of Genesis and of the entire scripture, and that's God himself. So we begin with faith. And if I'm looking at this passage rightly, I would define faith as a proper response to God's promising call. I'll say that again. I'll define faith as a proper response to God's promising call. But I say it in that order because I need you to hear this. 
that it always begins with God's promising call. We are never the initiators. And in this text, we're going to see the very same thing. Because notice what the text says literally in verse 1. It begins, now the Lord. Not now Abram. Not now Noah. Not now you fill in the blank. But now the Lord said to Abram, God initiated this. And here's what he says. Go from, underline that, your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Hasn't showed him yet. Verse two, and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth, there goes that word again, shall be blessed. This is a wonderful promise of blessing. But before he gets there, he gives them the burden of the call. And I want you to notice what he says to Abram. He does not say, hear me, go to. Rather, he says, go from. So here's what's happening in this text. He is asking Abram to leave his sense of familiarity, his sense of security, and his sense of identity all for a place that he's never stepped foot on. If I could say it like this, what God calls Abram from is drastically more clear than what God is calling Abram to. And herein lies a truth that we need to understand about our relationship with God. <laughs> that when God calls us, and y'all have been there if you've been walking with God long enough, that many times, what's most clear is not where he's taking us. What's most clear is what we have to leave behind. And here Abram is having to leave literally behind everything he's ever known to go to a place that he's never even seen before. God gives him no address. This is even pre, not only GPS, but pre like, not the phone jump, but like even pre Tom Tom. Y'all remember Tom Tom's? No map quest. No map. Because here it is. God is telling him, yo, I'm going to show you where to go. And doesn't even tell him where it is. Have you been there before with the Lord? Have you experienced those moments where it seems like God is calling you to something, but all that's in front of you is darkness? That's where Abram is in this text. But I love this about God so much that he never gives us a call and also giving us a promise. And notice the beauty of the promise. He says three things to Abram. He says, first off, I will make you a great nation. Second of all, I will give you a great name. And then third off, I will make you a conduit of great blessing. Great nation, great name, and a conduit of great blessing. So this idea of being a great nation would have been like literally insane to Abram because at this time, Pastor Johnny, you know, he don't got no kids yet. So think about this kind of promise from God. You've been childless all your life. And God's promise to Abram is not that you will have a kid. It said, I'm about to turn you into a whole country. 
See, that's the difference between our God and every other kind of deity. Our God just like to outdo stuff. That's why the, the language that Paul would use in Ephesians about the grace of God is a strange kind of language. He doesn't just say that God extends grace. He says that he, here it is, he lavishes it upon us. So here it is, Abram receives this promise to become a great nation. And in that day and age, this is big time blessing. Because in that day and age, your legacy was tied to your lineage. So God gives him a promise to extend and multiply his lineage so that Abram would know that his legacy is secure. What a blessing, great nation. Second thing he says is, I will give you a great name. And if you just turn your pages in the Bible, literally one chapter before in Genesis 11, you have the story of the Tower of Babel, where the people were building a tower in order to make of themselves a great name. And we read that story and we say how evil and sinful it was for them to want a great name. And then the whole time, if we're being honest with ourselves, we're reading that passage and we're like, I mean, I kind of do want a great name. (laughs) Well, if you just flip right past that in this text, God gives Abram the promise that I will give you a great name. So if having a great name was an evil thing, why would God make that promise? The problem in Genesis 11, hear me, is not that the people wanted a great name. The problem was the means through which they were going to go to get it. And here is something that it teaches us. That all of us have this desire for our name, for our reputation to be not only protected, but also to prosper. And we've gone through many, many, many hoops. Some of y'all compromising your own ideals. Posting over and over again on Facebook, social media, Instagram, what to make of yourself, what a great name. And God is saying to you, having a great name ain't the problem. The problem is the means by which you will go through to get it. But here's his promise, his beautiful promise, is that if you stop trying to make your own reputation, your own name, and you give your name to God, he's a better PR person than you can ever be. He knows what he's doing. Lastly, I'll make you a conduit of great blessing. And did you notice the text? He says, I'm going to curse those who curse you and I'm going to bless those who bless you. You ever been in a friendship like that? You got a friend, a homie. You know, my my dude, when I was growing up, his name was uh, Daryl. Anybody who Daryl didn't like, I ain't like either. I don't even got to meet him yet. He got beef, I got beef. Y'all know what it is. Now, what is that? What is that? What is that? That's something that we're uncomfortable saying about God. Guys, that is God taking sides. We don't like that, do we? But if you don't believe me, Psalm 124 makes it clear. Literally, it's a song to the people of God. Had it not been for the Lord who was on our side, let all of Israel say, had it not been for the Lord who was on our side. And now I'm going to say, let Salem Chapel say, One, two, three, had it not been for the Lord who was on our side. Ooh, it's good news that God has picked a side and he has taken your side in Jesus Christ. So he says, great nation, 
Great name, conduit of great blessing. And at this time, if we was in like the black church, you would pull out the Hammond B3, folks would start literally running around the sanctuary, and we would be shouting in this mug at that point. (laughs) But verse 4 is actually the most important aspect of the text. Why? Because verse 4 is a response to verses 1 through 3. And here's what's sad about some of us. Some of us, even in our own Christian walk, come Sunday in, Sunday out, and we stop at verse three. We hear the promise. We like it. Yeah, we heard the call, but the promise is really dope. So what do we do? Raise our hands, celebrate, and we call that worship. But what we're gonna see in faith is that proper worship is actually tied to obedience. And so Abram does two things. He goes and he worships. But the going gives context to the worship. Abram couldn't just pay lip service, no. He had to go. And if you read verses four through nine, what you will see is that Abram is going from place to place to place to place to place as God is leading him. And it is estimated that this traveling, this travel is about 800 miles of terrain. Y'all hear what I just said? He's not driving a Porsche, not even a Volkswagen. Not not banging on anybody who got a Volkswagen, but there are levels to this thing, you know what I'm saying? No bike, just walking with his family. I mean, y'all know what it is to with kids in a van, you know what I'm saying? Just walking with his family. Think about that. 800 miles of labor. 800 miles of exhaustion. And here's the hardest part. 800 miles of confusion because he doesn't even know where he's going. And the most counterintuitive Countercultural and seemingly counterproductive aspect of this entire text is that Abram said yes. Have you said yes to God in that way? Have you obeyed God in that way? Can I illustrate this real quick? My my daughter Hadassah, uh, she's she's one now, and um, I'm just being real, no judgment zone here. Pastor John, it's a safe place, right? You told me that. All right, cool. So my daughter Hadassah, like, for the first, like, nine months of her life didn't like me (laughs) at all. (laughs) Um, And no matter how much I tried to, like, gain her affection, it just just wasn't happening. And, and, And for whatever reason, like, I really don't know what it was, but for whatever reason, even my happiness made her sad. So she would do something that's cute. And I'm like, yo, that's so cute. And my laughter would turn her smile into a cry. <laughs> she was bad for like nine months, and then we moved to Florida. And for whatever reason, this is why I always be thankful to God moving us to Florida. <laughs> Something switched in Florida. My daughter began to love me at that point in time. And I knew it because I would come to her, and I would just extend my arms now, 
And what she'll do every time I come to her and I extend my arms is she'll always do this. She'll just give out a little dance. <laughs> and here, here's what's crazy is I could be literally at the other side of the room and now she could crawl a little bit more. Now she's starting to walk and the same thing <laughs> just every single time. Here's what hit me though. My daughter's dancing and she has no clue where I'm about to take her. <laughs> See, here's what's true with my daughter. <laughs> I could be taking her into the wonderful, loving, warm arms of her mother. <laughs> or I can be taking her into the unadulterated prison cell called the car seat. <laughs> My daughter hates being locked up in prison. But at this moment, when I send my arms, she doesn't know where she's going. And here is the beauty of her response, which be, should be the same response that we have before God. She does not need an explanation on where I am taking her to experience excitement for the simple fact that I am with her. Christian, that should be us before God. God is going to call us to some unknown dark places. God is going to call some of us overseas Calling some of you right now, but feeling the nudge in your job to begin sharing the gospel with that coworker. And we don't know how it's going to go on the other end. And yet and still learn from Hadassah. You should not need an explanation for where God is taking you to simply feel excitement for the fact that he is with you. How far are you willing to go because God said it? How much are you willing to give up simply because God said it? And here's the last question I want you to ask yourself. And how foolish are you willing to look simply because God said it? Because here's the transition in the text. You have Abram who displays a proper response to God's promising call. We call that faith. And you would think that God inserted a different character into the story, but no, it's the same man. And what we're gonna see in this text is that there is no longer a proper response to God's promising call. Here it is, it's fear, which is an improper reaction. Here it is to the world's inevitable calamity. <laughs> For notice what the text says. It says, verse 10, now there was a famine in the land. Underline this. So, this is where our lives sometimes intersects with the scripture, where we experience calamity, maybe not a famine, maybe political unrest, maybe racial divisions, or maybe, dare I say, a worldwide pandemic. 
And we experience the inevitable calamity. For Jesus says in this life, you will have trouble. And then comes response time. And then we can either have a proper response to God's call or we will have an improper reaction to calamity. And in this text, the one who had a proper response in the first nine verses now shifts and has an improper reaction. For the text says, now a famine, and then the text says, so. So Abram did what? Went down to Egypt. Did God tell him to go there? No. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. Now he's getting all smart and stuff. Before in the text, he wasn't no smart joker. He heard a word from the Lord. Probably he looked crazy to everyone else around him. Am I lying? Has to go to his wife. Has to go to his family. Hey, y'all, I got to (laughs) leave. Okay, like for a few days you went on vacation. That's what's up, man. You've been working really hard. (laughs) No, no, I just got to go. Where? I don't know. (laughs) And yet, from verse 1 through 9, what do you see? The Lord, 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 the Lord. So then we shift in verse 10. And because calamity and disaster comes, now he gets all smart. (laughs) And just hear this as my word to some of y'all. Most of the time when we get really smart, that's when we become kingdomly done. Because now he gets smart and he is starting to speculate. And human speculation leads to human solutions, even though he's already been given a divine promise. And check it. The calamity in verse 10 does not press delete on the call in verse 1. Do you think God doesn't know the calamities on his way? Disasters on his way? Pain is on his way. Suffering is on his way. God knows all of that, so he calls us before that so that we can stand on the call even in that. That's what's going on in this passage. And anybody like Abraham, you miss it. He missed it. And what is the result? The result is tragic. The result is sad. The result is heartbreaking. See, God gave him the best insurance policy you can possibly desire. Where he says, whoever curses you, I will curse. Whoever blesses you, I will bless. His insurance policy is, I'm on your side. State Farm saying, come on, dog. You know State Farm? I need the one who made farms and the animals in it. Fifteen minutes. Come on, man. Like this is God saying forever, I will be with you. And Abram turns that in for his own policy that comes with a much higher premium and the expense that it will cost him 
is literally the very purity and dignity of his own wife. Brothers, can I say something real quick? This is what it looks like when we don't live into God's call to be self-sacrificial and instead we're self-protective. When we should lay ourselves down on the altar, Abram laid his own wife down on the altar. And the saddest part is, is doing this pastoring thing, I know the effect that this has had on many, many, many women. Ladies, I know. Some of you have gone through the experience of men taking their own life literally and lifting it up on a pedestal and then taking yours and saying, forget about it. Elevating themselves at the detriment of your own dignity. And this happens over and over and over and over and over again. And here's supposed to be our hero and even he does it. You feel the weight of that? Imagine Sarai. We read over this so quickly. The text says she was taken into his house. Feel the weight of that. It's heavy in here, right? (laughs) This is why verse 17 is so beautiful. Because of that weight. Verse 17. But the Lord. (laughs) Hallelujah, Jesus. I thank you so much for these words. But the Lord. But the Lord, can y'all say this with me? But the Lord, one more time. But the Lord, one more time. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues. What? Because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Hear me right now in this place. I don't know many of your stories. I don't know what you've gone through. I don't know some of the abuses that you've endured. I don't know some of the pain that you have suffered. But one thing I do know, and this I came to tell you about, that there is a God in heaven who is ready, willing, and able to put a but the Lord smack dab in the middle of your story as well. But the Lord. You notice how he did it? Sounds like we've heard this somewhere before, haven't we? He sent plagues upon the Egyptians so that the Israelite can go free with more than the Israelite came in with. Got any Bible readers in the house? Sends a plague upon Egyptians so that the Israelite can go free with more than the Israelite came in with. Does that sound familiar? Friends, this is a precursor to the Exodus story where the people of Israel will be enslaved by the Egyptians for over 400 years and there would be a but the Lord in the middle of that story as well. And he would show up 
and he would send plagues upon the Egyptians so that the Israelites can go free with more, leaving more with the more with what they came in with. And here's what I also want you to know is that that exodus is but a precursor of the even greater exodus where God would send the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ would see us enslaved to a greater enemy. No longer Egyptians, so he couldn't just send plagues upon it. It was actually Satan's sin and death itself. God could not just make sin sicker. He had to put death to death. But in order to do so, he had to embrace our sin, die in our place, and rise from the dead, literally sending us out with more than what we came in with. And that is why. This is for every passage, but I'm preaching it from this. That is why this passage ain't really about Abraham in the, in the first place. It's ultimately about the Lord Jesus Christ. So can I just preach this gospel to you from here and then we, I'll just get out your way? Here's what this text is about. Check me if I'm lying. It's about a son leaving a father to go to a distant and unknown, unknown land so that he may what? Become a great nation, receive a great name, and become a conduit of great blessing. i say that one more time for my gospel people. <laughs> it's about a son leaving a father to go to a distant land so that he might become a great nation, receive a great name, and become a conduit of great blessing. If you've never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> For God the Son left God the Father to go to our distant and dirty, broken, busted, and disgusted land so that he might what? Become a great nation. Don't believe me, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, where it says that in Christ, this is what you are, now a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a what? A holy nation and a people for his possession in Christ he has now given him a great nation but not only that he has also given him a great name and this is one of my favorite passages in all the scripture Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 through 11 that says that though he was in the form of God this is Jesus he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's given him a great name. And if you're celebrating that, praise God. But I ain't even got to your blessing yet. He made him a conduit of great blessing as well. And the word blessing is a funny word because it's vague, ain't it? We've all heard the prophet liars come on TV. Today is the day of your blessing. I don't know why they got a country accent. I'm sorry about that. 
is vague. And there's two reasons, two reasons, two reasons why we're normally vague. The first one is the teacher's reason for being vague. Any educators in the building? My mom's an educator, so you can, you can be cool, comfortable, cool. All right. So we all growing up, we had teachers who gave us this vague promise, and we know what it was. What? If you behave yourselves, you will get a prize. <laughs> and we all knew what the prize was every time. Tootsie Rolls. Every single time. Every time. Like, I knew she wasn't going to go in the back and pull out no PS4, right? So it never motivated me. And the reason why the teacher is vague, because they know that the actual prize is never enough to actually motivate. That's not why God is vague. God is vague because there are not enough words in the English, Hebrew, Latin, Greek, Spanish dictionary that can possibly contain all that he has given to the people of God through his son, Jesus Christ. Throughout scripture, they would talk about this blessing in various ways. Genesis 3 said that the blessing would be one who crushed the head of the snake. Genesis 49 said the blessing would be one who would rule over the nations. Deuteronomy 18 would say that the blessing would be a prophet like Moses who everyone should listen to. Psalm 22 would say that the blessing would be one who would be pierced. Then we get to Isaiah 53 and the blessing becomes clear. It would be one who was crushed as a substitute for the sins of the people. But then, Jesus shows up on the scene. You know what Jesus says? He doesn't tell you about the blessing. Jesus says, I am the blessing. As if to say to every single issue, every single pain point, every single purpose in your life, everything you've ever wanted, everything you've ever needed, all of it is found in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is your blessing. But what did he have to do to give you that? This is the hard part. He couldn't just extend a pinky and a promise. He had to extend his very life. Couldn't just say, cross my heart, hope to die. He had to literally die upon a cross. And he might have swore on his own grave, <laughs> but three days after dying, he, had a, he ain't had a grave to swear on, amen? For he rose from the dead with all victory in his hand, with all power in his hands, stood before people just like I'm standing before you to say with clarity that I've given you a much better promise than wedding vows. For wedding vows say till death do us part, my vow to you is that even death can't part us. Pray that if you haven't believed that to be true, I pray that you would believe that today. But if you've trusted in that reality and you've trusted in that person, the Lord Jesus Christ, may we respond like Abram did. Let's go up out of this place. Take this gospel to your coworkers. Take this gospel to your family members. Take this gospel to your neighbors. Let's go. But also, let's worship. 
And I don't know if you have joy in your heart, but I do right now. Literally, right now, I can literally run around this place just thinking about all that God has overcome in my life to give me that kind of grace. So if you wouldn't mind, can you just stand to your feet with hands ready to be raised, with mouths ready to be open, and let's worship King Jesus for who he is and what he has come to do. Amen? Amen.